Wonderful to see you all here tonight. We're here to worship the Lord and, and to lift Him up. So open with me, if, you're, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're talking about this man, Elijah. We're talking about the spirit and the power of Elijah. We're talking about the faith of Elijah and how the Lord used him. And we, have, we keep reminding ourselves that he was not inherently uh, by creation any different than we were, than we are, okay? Elijah was a man of like passions like as we are, the Bible says in, in uh, James chapter 5. And, and yet God used him in such an incredible way. We say, well, I could never be used by that like the Lord in that way, by the Lord in that way, and we could. It, it's all based upon the giftings and callings, but it's based upon our faith in the Lord and trust in the Lord. What has he called us to? And if he's called me to do that, then he will equip me to do that. If he's called me to do that, he can most certainly do that through me. I have to trust him. Moses, you know, the Lord said, why do you stand here? He says, tell the people to go forward and stretch out your rod and the Lord parted the sea, right? He was just a man. Moses was nothing supernatural, but he believed in God, and he trusted the Lord, and he obeyed the Lord. We see it over and over, this repeated by the heroes of the faith that we, we love to talk about from the Bible, and as Elijah, Elijah is one of those. And we see it in the lives of people uh, since the Bible days that God uses, okay? And so he's still using men in that way. A couple of verses I want to look at just to open up. 1 Kings 18, 1, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So there's this one verse. Remember, three and a half years of seclusion, three and a half years, years of no rain, Having no rain, it's going to also bring all the hardships that come with it upon the land. The crops aren't growing. Uh, cattle are dying, things like that. People are probably dying. Uh, three and a half years of no rain. And Elijah didn't know it was going to be three and a half years. All he knew was when in chapter 17, verse 1, the Lord says, Go uh, and talk to Eli uh, Ahab and tell him there's not going to be rain, but according to my word, these years. And instantly the Lord after he delivers that message to the king, uh, he says, go hide yourself by the brook. But now the hiding is over, and he says, go show yourself to Ahab. And he goes, and I will send rain upon the earth. We don't have to get God to, uh, you know, swear on his mama's grave and all that kind of stuff that people say. When he says it, he means it. You go show yourself to Ahab. I'm going to send rain upon the earth. Are you sure, Lord? Did you mean it? That No, just, yeah, you go talk to Ahab. Go show yourself to him. Remember, he's been looking for him. Ahab, there's been searching for, uh, sending out people to look for this man, Elijah, who said there wouldn't be rain, and there wasn't rain. Uh, all during this period that God was sustaining him by brook and sustaining him later with the widow woman in Zarephath. But now it's time to go, and he says, I'm going to send rain upon the earth. A couple of things that I want to talk about this man um, is that God had his, his plan, and he used Elijah in it. Elijah didn't come up with a plan. Elijah didn't think, you know, this would be a neat thing to do for the Lord. I'm going to pray that there won't be rain, and that will teach Ahab a lesson. Uh, everything's of the Lord. 
It's of the Lord. It's his, he initiates it. He does it. And if you've ever read that book, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, uh, that's one of, the, one of the key points in that book. There's a lot of wonderful, simple, basic truths in that book. And one of those is, is that God uh, invites us to be part of his plan. He allows us to be part of it. We don't sit there and, and dream up something and say, God, hey, bless me and help me to do this. We go to the Lord and we, we sit in his presence and we stand in his presence and we develop a relationship with him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And God reveals himself to us. And in revealing himself to us, he reveals his plans and purposes and how he wants to use us in it. Okay? And so this is what we see here. God does not always reveal. In fact, I think usually he does not reveal the whole plan at once to us. We don't see that he revealed it all to, to, uh, to Elijah. He told them three and a half years before what to say to Ahab, Ahab on their first meeting. And then he hid him. Now I know that, he, that during that three and a half years of hiding and during that time he also raised the widow's son from the dead. And during that time that he still had his relationship with God, still had uh, communion, Elijah and the Lord, because he says, I stand in Jehovah's presence continually. Okay, but still, I don't think that God we don't typically see with Moses or anybody where the Lord reveals the whole plan. Steps one through twenty five at the very beginning. He shows us what we need to know. There's probably a lot of good reasons for that. The Lord in his wisdom uh, does that because a lot of things might happen. We're human beings, and if I saw the whole thing and where I was heading, I might not want to go there. You know what I mean? It might be overwhelming to me. It might be scary to me. I might turn tail and run, or I might be tempted to, to get ahead of the Lord. I don't want to wait three and a half years with a widow woman. I want to go do it now, and it's not God's timing. So he shows us what we need to do, and it's also a school for us. It's a training for us as as his disciples, that, uh, that he's teaching us to wait upon him. He's teaching us to be content with where we are, knowing that, that, that there's more coming, be, being content to wait on the Lord until he brings it about. Amen? And again, we want it all, and we want it all now, but I'll just read this from Psalm 62. David says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. Well, it seems like life's passing you by, right? Maybe you think that. What are you doing? I'm waiting on God. Waiting doesn't mean we do nothing. Waiting means we wait on the Lord to take that next step. It doesn't mean we're doing nothing. I already know I'm supposed to share the gospel, so I don't wait on doing that. If God gives me an opportunity to, to preach the gospel or share it with someone, I'm not waiting on that. You understand what I'm saying? But like whatever his plan is for your life, for your ministry, uh, we wait. We wait upon the Lord. And he, David says, my expectation is from him. My hope basically is in him and from him. And so here's the plan that God's going to, God is going to send the rain. But more than send the rain, he is desiring to turn the people from worshiping Baal and this false God, to turn them back to Jehovah, the true God of Israel, and to forsake those 
false gods in the process. Amen. And so, again, we don't know that it was all revealed to him at once. But I can say what's important is that we obey the Lord at once. We've looked at that this with Elijah and we see it. There's not a lot of things, but we see when he said, go talk to Ahab, he did in chapter 17. When he said, go hide yourself by the brook, I'll feed you there, he did. And thus, Elijah did according to the word of the Lord. That's what it says over and over. Then the brook dried up, and he says, go to Zarephath. There's a widow woman going to sustain you. Thus, Elijah did according to the word of the Lord. And now he's saying in chapter 18, verse 1, go show yourself unto Ahab and in in verse 2 it says Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab we just read over that that's just part of the narrative well it's not just part of the narrative it's a man's obedience is what it is it's important it's important a lot of times we get passed by so to speak in in the plans of God and what he wants to do because we don't go and do according to the word of the Lord we need to do it we need to do it promptly We need to do it without hesitation. We need to do it by faith, trusting the Lord, not complaining and grumbling and hating it as we go. We don't read any of that with Elijah. You know, there was, uh, on one occasion, there were 10 lepers. You know the story in the Gospels. They came to Jesus to be healed, 10 lepers covered with leprosy. And all Jesus said to them was, go show yourself to the priest and offer the offering that Moses calls for. For this, for, for leprosy. That's what he told them to do. But we do see that they did that, right? The ten lepers turned from Jesus, and it says as they went, they were healed. He didn't lay his hands on them. He could have, and in other places he does things like that. But here, he told them, go show yourself to the priest and offer the offering you're supposed to offer. And as they went, they were healed. It's important to just go with simple, childlike obedience. Don't try to be too smart. God's wise. You know what I mean? Just, just trust him and do what he says and do what he says when he says to do it. It's really, actually, when you think about it, an exciting way to live. The Bible does say that just shall live by faith. We don't have the whole blueprint laid out specifically for our lives. Now, we have the word of God telling us how all of creation and everything's going to happen. But as, as far as the specifics for your life tomorrow, 15 years from now, if we're still living, we don't know what that's going to hold. So he leads us day by day. Amen. For the most part, he leads us day by day. And this is one uh, characteristic, I guess you would say, of a servant of God. They're, they're content. The, the servant of God is, is content to be led day by day. He'll show me when he wants to show me. But I'm listening. I'm listening, and I'm ready to obey what he does show me. One of the things we notice about Elijah, and I want you to look at, skip all the way down to verse 36 of this same chapter, 1 Kings uh, 18, 36. Now, this is jumping way ahead, but I want us to see something. It came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah... The prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. Okay, let's just stop right there. 
first of all, we're jumping way ahead. Now we're getting to the crux of the matter. Now we're getting to the whole point of Elijah's life and the whole point of the no rain and the rain about to come and all of it. We're getting to the whole crux of the matter, and Elijah knew what that was. He's speaking there. Now, again, we're jumping way ahead. We're going to go back and look at what's happening. But at this point, he's addressing the nation, the whole nation of Israel. Ahab was there as well, this idolatrous king, and all these prophets of Baal were there. Everybody's there, and he is saying, Lord God, so they're, they're getting to hear this man's prayer. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. He wanted people to know that Jehovah is God. And all that this man Elijah was consumed with and concerned with was for the glory of God. And when we are that way, when, we, when really, when it boils down to it, all we care about is that God is glorified, then that's a vessel in his hand he can use. If it's competing with personal uh, recognition that I want, my motives are, yeah, I want God to be glorified, but I want to come out of this with something good myself too. You know what I mean? I want to make myself look good. Whatever, God is just, he can easily find someone else. He'll just move on. Or maybe he'll work in our lives and bring us to that point. But at that point, if that's the case, we're not really fit to be the vessel in his hand, a vessel of honor. doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It doesn't mean we're not saved. It means that, that we're not fit for, to be used by God because he says, I'm not going to give my glory to another. It has to be in our heart of hearts, sincerely, not a good act, not a good show that we put on. It has to be for the glory of God. Our life has to be lived for the glory of God. If it's five more minutes before he calls me home or 50 more years, that time and this life that he saved by his grace and washed in his own blood, that life is to be lived for the glory of God, period. And Elijah knew this. And even his prayer before the whole nation, this is what it all came to this climax. He says, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. You know what that is? That's a holy zeal for God. That is a holy passion for the glory of God. It's holy. It's not fake. Okay. And I want you to keep your spot there and turn with me to John chapter 2. Because we're going to see this in in our Lord's life as well. John chapter 2. We'll go back to 1 Kings in just a moment. John chapter 2. Let's pick up in verse 13. And the Jews Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge, of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. So Jesus didn't go in there and lose it. Have you ever lost your temper and just lost it before? I have. 
It's not pretty, right? Jesus didn't go in there and lose his temper. He sat outside and took the time to make this whip. He knew what he was going to do. There was a holy righteousness and a holy anger. But the passion to follow it through, to turn over the tables, to, to say, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. You have made it into a den of thieves. And it was the zeal of the Lord. There's a holy anger. Not an unrighteous anger. Not an anger because someone personally offended me. And, and how dare them cut me off in traffic. Don't they have any respect for me for doing that? Uh, and we're angry because we're offended. This is an anger for God's sake. Elijah had it. Okay? Men and women of God that know God and walk with the Lord. That's a good thing. Okay, Jesus had it at this moment, and he turned over the tables and chased them out. But Elijah, so you can go back to to first Kings 18. His soul had a holy jealousy for the glory of the God of Israel. He could not bear to think that the people of Israel. That was the apple of God's eyes, right? This chosen nation that was chosen to show forth the glory of God to the Gentiles and to others, that they had forsaken the Lord for Phoenician idols of Baal and Ashtaroth. He couldn't bear to think that people were actually worshiping these false deities, and he couldn't bear to think that the people thought, hey, maybe Jehovah's not alive anymore. Maybe he's not really God anymore. Remember the whole land, the whole nation from coast to coast, from Dan to Beersheba, okay, was cleared of, the, of God, Jehovah's altars. They were wiped out. The prophets, the true prophets of Jehovah were hunted down and killed, except for the hundred that Obadiah hid and fed during the famine. The land has basically been purged of Jehovah and Jehovah worship. And in those places, there's been set up idols to Baal, and there have been set up actually a temple to Baal for the people to gather and worship. This was Ahab and Jezebel. And Je uh, Elijah, you know in his heart of hearts and his soul, he's zealous for the Lord, for his glory. And he didn't want people to think that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was powerless or dead or AWOL or something like that. And so he has this holy zeal for the Lord. And I can tell you this, it would do us all, I mean all of us as the, the children of God, to have a similar dose of that heart or soul that has a, a jealousy and a zeal for God's glory. In this day and in this age, all of us honestly... For, this is not a condemnation to, to every person, but you see it a lot that in the church, people are, are more eager for their own success. They're more concerned for their own success, even within the church. How, how is this going to benefit me? You understand what I'm saying? In the church, uh, how is this going to work out for me? And we're jealous for our own work. And we're jealous for our own church. We're jealous for our own denomination or something like that, as opposed to being zealous for the Lord and for his glory. Don't you know if we would put him first like that, he would take care of those other things? He really would. 
He'll take her a cornerstone if we put him first and above all. You know, I think about it all the time. When you go to preach in the prisons, I've done ministry, prison ministry all my life up until the last couple of years. We go out street witnessing in the places we've been. We're going to go to Gonzales and share the gospel and hand out tracts to people at a state fair. I have no clue how that's going to benefit Cornerstone in the sense of how many new members we're going to get. Maybe not one. But you know what? We want to be about our Father's business. We want to share the gospel. He will add to our church as he desires to add to our church. When we go into the prisons in Angola, they're not getting out. So they're not going to be members of Cornerstone. You know what I mean? They're going to die there. And so we can't be concerned about that. The Lord says, go. Go into the highways and byways. Go and bring the gospel. Don't always think about, not that you do, but don't always think, how is this going to benefit me? How is this going to benefit my little circle, my little sphere of influence? No, how is it going to benefit God? How is it going to glorify God, right? And so that's what we need to think about, and that's how we need to live. And so if, if our, you know, so much we're caught up in our own interest, if, if we're prospering, then we're happy. If, if our church is sort of, or our ministry is not getting recognized, then we're depressed. But really, it's probably the reason that we're not experiencing the ministry success we want is because our focus is upon us as, as opposed to being for the glory of God. Amen? So that's a wonderful lesson to learn. God could use us like he used Elijah if we had the same holy zeal for him, the same faith for him. And these are things we can have. They're not just exclusive to this man or to the men and women of the Bible. Next of all, we see it back in that same verse 36 of chapter 18 that we looked at. He says, let it be known, halfway through that verse, this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. Okay, so now he adds a little bit more. Let it be known you're God and I'm your servant. And when we see ourselves rightly in, that, in, that, uh, in the plan of God, in the will of God, he's the Lord, I'm his servant. And then it's almost like uh, we can't be stopped. It's God, and I'm in my rightful place, and I've put him in his rightful place and esteemed him where he needs to be esteemed, and God can use us. And don't let it get out of order like that. We're just servants of the Lord. We're not necessary to God. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, uh, God can't do without me. Yes, he can He's lived eternity past without you, and he doesn't need us. He could call the rocks and stones to praise him if we wouldn't and if we didn't. Amen? And so we're not necessary to the plan of God. It's our privilege to be used in the plan of God, and we ought to do it as a servant with a servant's heart with great joy. Amen? And so he knew this, and his attitude was that, that I'm just a servant of the Lord. And y'all, when, when we're a servant of the Lord, then we're going to do his will. We're going to do his will. I know that sounds simple again, but we don't just dream up what we want as a Christian and say, wouldn't this be good? God, would you come along and do it through me and bless it? No, we wait upon the Lord. While we're waiting, while we're waiting there's a lot of stuff we do. We come to church, we read our Bibles, we pray, we seek the Lord, we tell others about Christ, we serve in any ways that he's given us to serve. So we're not waiting 
locked up in a room somewhere <clears throat> doing nothing, but we're waiting on the Lord to hear from the Lord what he wants to do. What did Saul of Tarsus say? Here's Saul, a persecutor of Christians, a Pharisee of Pharisee of the tribes of Benjamin. He's on his way to Damascus with letters in his hand to persecute the Christians there. The Lord knocks him off his high horse. He falls to the ground. And he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And the next statement out of Saul's mouth is, Lord. It's a good way to start it, right? Lord. Hadn't called him Lord before, but he's calling him Lord now. Lord, what will you have me to do? And from that point till he was beheaded in Rome, all those years later, it was a life, not perfection, but a life of following in the Lord and a life of, Lord, what will you have me to do? When he heard the, uh, the Macedonian call, they were determined to go somewhere else. He has a dream, and God says, sees a vision, uh, sends Paul a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. He said, that's the Lord. We're going to Macedonia. It's waiting on the Lord and then just being a servant of God and doing what he says. And a lot of times, y'all, we, we, again, we, we make up our own plans, and I think we miss out on the real power of ministry and the power of how our life could be used because we're doing our own thing. It's a Christian thing, but we're doing our own thing. And we say, God, would you come along and bless it? And that's not a servant. A servant waits on his Lord. A servant waits on his master to, to give the instructions, and he's content to do that, to sit before the Lord. Amen? And so Paul says in Romans 1, 1, and not just in Romans 1, but in several places, is he describes himself, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Shadrach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High God. Well, they were servants of the king. They were in his cabinet. They served in the government. But no, they had one above, above him. And they were true servants of God. You three boys, you servants of the Most High God, come out of that fire. And it's wonderful to be a servant of the Lord. And it's wonderful to be working in the plan of God. There's a real uh, comfort and a peace and an ease and a strength, I would say, getting it right. He's Lord. I'm doing it for his glory. I'm his servant, and I'm in his plan. Right now, this second, I'm in his plan. There's a power right there. You understand what I'm saying? There's a confidence. When we go out and witness, I believe we're supposed to go witnessing next, not this Friday, but next. Whether 100 people get saved or 100 people curse us out or nobody gets saved, I don't know. But I can tell you, it is the will of God for us to go out and share the gospel. I'm going to be confident that I'm in the will of God as I go. Because otherwise, we're going to be double-minded and wondering, is this really the Lord? Should I really be doing this? Yes. Take this gospel, go ye into all the world, and preach this gospel to every creature. This will be an opportunity to do that, right? And so we need to know uh, we're in God's will and walk that walk in it amen and that's what he says at the end of this verse note let it be known this day thou art god in israel and that i am thy servant and that i have done all these things at thy word 
So the things that he'd done that we haven't talked about yet, where he repaired the, the altar of Jehovah and put the sacrifice at the time of the evening sacrifice and called down fire from heaven. Uh, all of that was not this man's invention. He was just an instrument in God's hands. He was just a tool. It could be a young person. It could be somebody frail physically. It could be, a, a, you know, whoever. God can use us and show his strength when we're yielded to him and, and doing it for God's glory. Amen. And so this, this was actually a strength for him. The question for you and I tonight in regards to our study tonight, what we're talking about is, are you sure that you're in God's will? Have you developed your relationship in such a way that you know that you're in the plan of God, you're in the will of God? Not just a Christian going through life, but a Christian in the will of God. At this particular moment of your life, right now, tonight, okay, in, in this season of your life, are you in the will of God? Because the power and the blessings of God are to be enjoyed in their fullness by those that are in his will. The power and the blessings of God are enjoyed and experienced in their fullness to those that are in the will of God. Amen. And so uh, God made the plan. And let's, let's think about uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness. We always talk about them. And remember, they're an example for us. They're given as an example. So God always knew that the children of Israel were going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. He knew that. And how did he direct them from day to day? They didn't know it was going to be 40 years, okay, uh, when, they, when they first came out. How did he direct them from day to day? to be here today and here tomorrow and stay here for three months and stay there for six weeks and stay here for a year uh, and go to this place. How did he direct him? By day, it was a pillar of cloud, and by night, it was a pillar of fire. That was God's presence among them, but it was more than God's presence among them. It was also showing them where to be. In the daytime, that cloud actually offered them shade because they're out in the desert, okay, but also, if they wanted the, the manna, manna fell every day, but it didn't fall every day all over the desert. It fell every day around the camp of Israel. So they could be an Israelite and not be where that pillar of fire or cloud was. And they're not going to enjoy the blessings of God. They're not going to have the manna. That sounds like a simple truth, but the manna fell where the Lord was. And the people were to, instructed to be, you follow that pillar of fire at night, and you follow it by day. And when it stops, you stop. And if it stops for a year and a half, then you stop for a year and a half. And if it gets up and moves after one day, you get up and pack up and move after one day. Because if you want the blessings of God and the provision of God and the light of God and the guidance of God and the manna from heaven, you need to be where that is. You need to be where he is. Okay, it didn't fall anywhere else. It didn't fall in the land of Canaan. It didn't fall back in Egypt. It fell right there uh, where, where that cloud was hovering. Amen. And so do you want the blessings of God upon your life? You want the provisions of God for your life? You need to be in the will of God. You can't be anywhere you want, even as a Christian, anywhere basically you, you want and say, God's going to bless me and take care of me. No, you need to find out 
where you're supposed to be. This is why we have to have a relationship with God. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. We speak and we call upon him and we listen and we go to his word and he speaks us to us through his word and he guides us with his eye. And he, he said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. We have a relationship with Almighty God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and he leads us. He's our good shepherd, and he leads us. You want the blessings of God on your life, your ministry, be in the will of God. You can be, and I can be. It's not like it's something impossible. So many people spend their years, uh, I would say maybe disobedient to the heavenly call of God upon their lives, so many people spend their years daydreaming, uh, not ever getting plugged into the plan of God. So many spend, Christians spend their lives seeking their own comfort, and I want all God's blessings for me now. And we're not at all listening to what he's trying to tell us he wants to do with our lives. We need to be listening to the Lord. Like, like Saul, Lord, what will you have me to do? And there's a lot of ways God can reveal his will to us, but I'll say this, you develop a relationship with him, he will communicate it to you somehow. He speaks through his word. He speaks by a still small voice. He, speak, he speaks by his spirit. He speaks through circumstances and, and things like that. And however much we know, if we're surrendered to however much we know, then he's going to show us more. We talk about that a lot. If he showed me this, then obey this, okay? He only showed me that. Well, then walk in that. Walk in that right there. He'll make it more real quickly. The one that's yielded to his will is going to come to know more. And, and whatever you do know, there's only a couple of reasons we wouldn't know. And, and either, either we refuse to obey what he has showed us so he's not showing us anymore. And we're kind of confused. I don't really get it. Well, did you obey what he first told you to? If not, go back to that place and obey what he told you to first obey. Okay. Let's say you've done that and you still, the plan's not being reveal, revealed yet. Well, then it's simply not his time yet. We have to wait on him for his time. My soul, wait thou upon God. He only is my expectation, right? We wait upon the Lord. But be, be sure that while you're waiting that you're ready to obey. You know what I mean? When God says it's time to go, we can't say, well, Lord, wait, I'm just starting to like it here. You know, that cloud moved over here. I'm kind of liking this little place. And God says, get up and go. And you say, I don't want to go there yet. No, we get up and go, okay? We get up and go. Be, be sure that we're ready to obey as soon as we do know, all right? Don't stress over it. Don't, don't not be able to sleep at night because of that. I'm saying grow in your relationship with God and in the word of God. And if you haven't prayed that, Pray it. Pray it daily and get before the Lord and say, like Paul, what will you have me to do, Lord, for this day, for this week, this month, for my life? And then walk in that. Amen. Walk in that. And be quick to obey. You remember when, uh, and I'll be bringing this to a close here in just a minute, but when, when Peter, you know, the, the gospel had not gone to the Gentiles yet at this point, and, and uh Peter was on his rooftop in the middle of the day, right, like lunchtime, and he goes into a trance, and the Lord speaks to him. He's in Joppa, and the Lord gives him this vision, right, of the unclean beast let down on a big sheet, and he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat, and Peter, being a 
a good Jew as well as a Christian by this point, says, not so, Lord. I haven't eaten anything unclean all my life. I've eaten kosher. I have not eaten things that are on this, those types of animals that are represented on that sheet. And, and then it's drawn up. And three times it happens. Three times he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. I haven't eaten anything unclean. And the Lord says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And I'm paraphrasing it. And when it says when Peter doubted what the vision should mean, I'm not saying I would have done any better than Peter, okay? I'm just making a point. That's what the Bible says. He was scratching his head. He knew it was the Lord. He didn't fully comprehend the meaning of the three-time vision. And it says while he doubted, guess what his Lord did for him? He cleared it up for him. He didn't leave him hanging. While he doubted what the vision should mean, three men are knocking on the door, or I forgot how many men, looking for Peter. In other words, it was all cleared up in a matter of moments, but he was willing to do whatever the Lord told him to do. And he didn't show him the whole plan. He didn't understand the vision was about the gospel being brought to Gentiles and Gentiles and Jews being brought together in one body of Christ, in the blood of Jesus, okay? By the blood of Jesus, one faith, one baptism, all right? All, all brought together where there's neither Jew nor Gentile. That was what it was about, and he was getting ready to use Peter to bring the gospel to a, a Roman centurion, a Gentile. Peter had never set foot in the house of a Gentile, and he's about to. But my point of this is while he doubted, the three men are knocking on the door, and here we go. <laughs> here we go. Here we go, Peter. It's time, and there was no fooling around, but Peter was ready to obey when it came. When the men were knocking and said, we've come looking for Peter. He says, I'm he. What are you looking for? Why do you want me? And they tell him all about Cornelius. Because while Peter's having a vision, Cornelius is having a vision. And God's getting ready to save that man's soul and his whole household. And guess what? Gentiles. The gospel's getting ready to be brought to the Gentiles. We're Gentiles. Hallelujah. It's brought to us. Amen. But he didn't know. So God showed him. When he did show him, he accepted it he received it he obeyed it he didn't fight against it he went straight into that man's house he preached the gospel to him they got saved and baptized in the holy ghost and he had to rehearse it with those who went with them to go back to the church in jerusalem try to explain what in the world just happened there he said same holy ghost that fell on us fell on them when they believed it's just awesome to be part of god's will he didn't know he's going to have a vision that day he didn't know the meaning of the vision when he had it received it three times, still scratching his head. But he did know God was God. He's going to reveal it to me. He's going to show it to me. And we do see that when God showed it to him, he went. There was no arguing with the Lord about it. He went. And I just praise God for that. I'm just going to close with that tonight, y'all. The, the, the uh, quickness and certainty that, that we need to just obey the Lord when he shows us. Take your time with God. The one thing as a pastor I could tell you is develop your relationship with God. To develop your own personal relationship with the Lord. You're already saved. I don't need to preach to you how to be saved. You're here tonight. You're born again. Develop your walk with the Lord. Take the time. There's nothing more important in this life 
There's nothing more important, especially when we die and go to heaven. We'll look back and say, why did I waste so much time doing this when I could have been doing this? It's the most important. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to know his voice. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use this church. He wants to use the church down the street. And I'm not in competition with them. Hallelujah. Lord, use them. But we need to be hearing the voice of the Lord, not setting our own agenda and then say, God, come bless Cornerstone's agenda. Cornerstone needs to find out what God has for us. And I, I believe we're in his will. Don't get me wrong. But pray that we're in his will. Hear from God. And then walk in that. That's the cloud. That's where the manna's going to fall. Amen? Where the Lord is. That's where the manna's going to fall. That's where the blessings are going to come. That's where the water's going to come out of the rock. That's when the light will be there to light us at, and show us the way at night when we don't know how to go. Give us a shade by day. It's going to be the presence of the Lord blessing as we're in his will. Not as we do our own will and say, God, come bless it. So I'll just close with that. Chris is going to... Uh, lead us in the altar tonight. The altars are open, y'all. Take some time to pray to the Lord. Maybe that's not a prayer that you pray, or maybe, to be honest, you're not even sure. I know I'm a Christian, you might say, but I don't know really what his will is for my life. I'm not just talking about your job. Uh, I'm talking about everything. Lord, what will you have me to do? It's a living sacrifice. As we present ourselves as a servant, a living sacrifice each and every day, and the Lord leads us and he guides us. Amen. That's where you want to be. Pray that for our church. Pray that our church is in the will of God. That's all, all I want to be. Pray that we're really in our heart of hearts only concerned for his glory and not our own. He can, he can lift us up as we humble ourselves. He'll do that. But we want the blessings of God. Amen. Father, we come before you tonight. And like Elijah, Lord, we want to say, let it be known this day that thou art God. And that we are your servants, O oh God. Let that be known. You're God. We are your servants, washed in the blood of the Lamb. God, I pray you make your will very known to every believer here tonight, God. Young and old, God. That it would be a cry of our hearts, what will you have me to do? And you would reveal your will to our church and to our lives and our homes and our families, God. Pray you'd use us when we go next Friday, God. Pray you give us great Holy Ghost boldness, God, and love and compassion for the lost, Lord. We love you tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, God.